I'm going to have you go ahead and turn in your Bible to John chapter 16. That's where we found ourselves in our study of John. John chapter 16. I'll begin reading at verse 16 after we pray. Now, Father, this Your Word gives us the picture of Christ and what He has done, what He has said, how He led His men, His disciples through those final hours leading up to His crucifixion, how terrified they were, how hard it was going to be for them, and how faithful You are in the middle of it all. Lord, would You now Lord Jesus, You who are present by Your Holy Spirit, would You now take the Word that we hear and would You lift it off the page, filter it through our ears, our eyes, our minds, into our hearts. We likewise might see Jesus more clearly. Know Him. Rest by faith in Him. Deal with our tangled doubts and fears. Arrest our attention as we're so easy to wonder. Cause us to hear and to believe those things that our souls need today. In Jesus we pray. Amen. John chapter 16, beginning in verse 16. Jesus, on the night, on the mere hours before His betrayal, says, A little while, and you will see Me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see Me. Some of His disciples said to one another, what is this that He says to us? A little while and you will not see Me. And again, a little while and you will see Me. And because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does He mean by a little while? We don't know what He's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask Him. So He said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, a little while and you will not see Me. And again, a little while and you will see Me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, He will give to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. That your joy may be full. Jesus is promising them joy and yet at the same time warning them that sorrow is about to grip them. And like them, you and I live in this polarity between the sorrow we must face now and the joy, if we're believers, that we know is coming. And not just joy somehow, someday, but joy that begins now within these very times of sorrow. 2 Corinthians 6.10 says of believers that we are sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. So what is the relationship between these present earthly sorrows and this coming heavenly joy? 
And how do we bring the hope of that joy into this present time of sorrow? I mean, do you have sorrows? What do you need to do? Let's, let's look at this this morning. Let's look at when sorrow turns to joy. The first thing we need to see in this passage is that this whole question begins with a bit of confusion in verses 16 to 19. There is confusion in their minds over what Jesus means by a little while. Look at it again in verse 16. He says, A little while and you will see me no longer. And again a little while and you will see me. And his disciples begin to talk among themselves. And basically they're saying, We don't know what he's talking about. You ever feel that way as you're reading Scripture? Jesus is talking about heavenly and spiritual things beyond your experience? I mean, sometimes our little minds just can't take it all in, especially when what He says crashes up against our expectations. And the disciples, they have no place in their theology right now for a dead Messiah. I mean, they still can't wrap their heads around the fact that Jesus is going to die soon. It doesn't make sense to them. Messiahs don't die. They reign. The late R.C. Sproul reminded us that these words in a little while in the Bible very often describe a time of intense suffering and pain that's about to come upon God's people before uh, they reach the point that the joy breaks through. And so what is Jesus trying to get them to see here? Well, that's what they want to know. (laughs) And it's confused them. By the way, it's confused a lot of scholars too. Uh, There's tons of debate in the commentaries over exactly what Jesus is talking about. I mean, clearly it's evident to everybody that He's about to leave them and they won't see Him for a while and then He will come back and they'll see Him again. But, But specifically, what is He talking about here? I mean, is He talking about Uh, when He ascends back to heaven uh, after the resurrection and they won't see Him again, well, until the Holy Spirit comes and at Pentecost makes His spiritual presence known. Is, Is that what He's talking about? That's actually one view. Or maybe He's talking about His ultimate leaving and returning at the second coming at the end of the age. That's another view, that that's what Jesus is talking about here. But but I think it's it's really pretty clear that what He's pointing them to right now is something that is about to happen to them immediately as He dies and is placed in the grave. Oh yes, and then the resurrection. But but He's talking here, as He talks about leaving them, He's talking about His death. He will die within hours of saying these words to them. And He'll be hidden away in a stone-cold grave, and they're going to feel like their world has just ended. It's going to be black as night until three days later when Jesus rises from the grave and He comes to them and shows Himself to them and everything will change. Do you see that here in verse 16? He says, A little while and you will see Me no longer because I'll be dead and in the grave. But a little while and you will see Me again because I'll be risen and alive. It seems obvious with retrospect, but remember... Remember, this hasn't happened to them yet. And so for them, it's, it's just confusion. and They have questions. But notice this, and I really love this. Notice that there's a ray of hope snuck into His answer here. Look at verse 19. So they're saying, what does He mean? We don't get this. Verse 19, Jesus, we're told, knew 
that they wanted to ask him. And so he said to them basically what they've been asking. But, but notice those words, Jesus knew. Listen, just as an aside, Christian, in your times of confusion and uncertainty, when you're full of questions, Jesus knows. He knows. He's aware of your questions. Even before you begin to ask them, He's aware. He knows what you're struggling with right now. He, he understands what doesn't make sense to you. And, 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 and listen, He has the answers. He has the answers. And that's what we've got to remember. It's okay to be confused. It's okay to have questions. It's okay to have doubts. Of course you do. How could you not, especially those of you who are going through a time of suffering? In the middle of your suffering, there's a ton of questions. Just be sure to stick around long enough for Jesus to give you the answers. And that's what He's going to do next. Beginning in verse 19. Again, Jesus knew that they wanted to ask Him. So He said to them, Is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant to say, a little while and you will not see Me. And again, a little while and you will see Me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. Now, did you catch that at the beginning? The truly, truly. Some of you were waiting for me to do the alarm thing, right? The eh, eh, the wake up. Because every time you see Jesus say truly, truly, it's like an alarm going off in your head. It's a reminder to you that what comes next is very important. Jesus is about to make a point that you need to make sure you wake up and listen to. And so here He's going to tell us something very important. Again, verse 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, here's what's going to happen. You will weep and lament but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. Several things that we need to see here. First, he tells them that in just a little while, their world will come crashing down around them because Jesus will die. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that? I remember just it was just almost exactly what two years ago. I got the phone call from my sister-in-law early one Sunday morning that my dad had suddenly and unexpectedly died. My world froze in that moment. It was like darkness closed in around me from every side. My chest got tight. I couldn't think. I couldn't breathe in that moment. That's what's going to happen to them. But only more so because all of their hopes are invested in Jesus. And the words Jesus uses here to describe what they're going to feel are a picture of intense grief, literally a crying out in pain, a wailing with sorrow. Jesus says, here in a bit, you're going to be racked with grief, sobbing uncontrollably from a broken heart. And they were, if you remember. They were. That's what's going to happen. In just, just a few minutes from Jesus saying these words, Judas is going to come into that garden uh, with a squad of soldiers to arrest Jesus. They're going to watch as He's dragged away to a mock trial and beaten and condemned. And they're going to stand by as He is repeatedly brutalized, humiliated, tortured, and nailed to a cross to die. Disowned by his nation, his broken body will be thrown into a cold stone tomb and a stone rolled over it to seal him in. And when that happens, their whole world is going to collapse in on them. And then, to make matters worse, to add insult to injury, everybody around them is going to be celebrating. 
Right? Not only is it the Passover, but their enemies, the scribes, the Pharisees, the priests, will be laughing, toasting one another, saying to each other, Ha ha! We got that guy. Nobody's ever going to believe he's the Messiah, that liar, that fraud. Let's celebrate. Have you noticed how out of step with the world your love for Jesus makes you with those who love the world? Do you understand? These two loves point in different directions. Love for Jesus points you one way. Love for the world points you in a different way. And one of the things that has to happen as you begin to follow Jesus is that you have to get these loves straightened out. It's not just a matter of knowing the facts of the Gospel, but that Gospel has to sink into your soul and craft your heart and your affections so that new loves motivate everything you are and everything you do. And you can't love the things that they love when what they love contradicts what Jesus is all about. That's why John says in 1 John 2.15, Do not love the world, meaning the world in its rebellion. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Anyone who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, this is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away. It's not going to last. Along with its desires, they're also passing away. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Does your heart love the things this world loves, these temporary, scanty things? Or does your heart love the things God loves? What do you rejoice in? What makes you happy? What thrills you? Immorality? Do you sit and look at the screen of people engaging in immoral acts and laugh about it and make fun of it? Does impurity captivate your heart? How about cruelty? Uh, the killing of children through abortion. Is that something that you would celebrate and say this is a good thing? It's okay? Or can you grieve with Christ and His people over the things He says are evil, over the things that grieve His heart, over the things that sent Him to the cross? You see, here's the thing. Love for Jesus will bring you grief when sin and evil triumph temporarily in this world. They will bring you grief. You will grieve for a time. Love for Christ will bring grief into your life on its way to preparing you for joy. And so don't believe, please don't believe this lie that the Christian should always experience joy, that the Christian life will always be filled with this sense of happiness. No, no, there is grief for us to go through from many sides. Read it again. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You'll be out of phase. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. So here's the second thing here. The Christian faith tells us two things. One, there will be sorrow in this world, but two, for us, because of the resurrection, that sorrow will give way to joy. And Christian, as you live your life, you've got to have both of these in mind. You've got to, first of all, just again, remind you, there will be sorrow. Say that with me. There will be sorrow. But afterwards, when Jesus takes hold of that sorrow, it will be changed to joy. And the way that you get through the sorrow now 
is by keeping your mind fixed on the joy that's promised. So look what he is telling them here. And think about why he's saying this. So so what is it that's about to happen that's going to leave them racked with sorrow? Well, again, he's talking about the cross that's about to all come out and play down. He's going to die within mere hours of saying these words. And when he does, sorrow is going to crush them. But he says after that, just a few more hours beyond that, just a little while after that, that sorrow itself will be turned to joy. Now notice that. It's easy to miss this. Notice that. He doesn't say joy will come in and replace the sorrow. He doesn't say something else is going to happen. A sorrow, it's one thing over here and it's just going to be gone. And then something else entirely, joy will come and take its place. No, what he says is the very thing that's causing the sorrow will itself be transformed into the cause of joy. Can you see that? And again, think, think exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about the cross. The very thing they're sorrowful about now, Jesus on the cross will become the thing they rejoice in forever. God's power of grace is so intense, it takes the very bad news we're grieving over and turns it into the good news we celebrate. Right? That was true about the cross because of the resurrection. Right? It's Friday. We're weeping, we're mourning, we're broken. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday and the world is black and we can't see a hope. But Sunday is coming. So the worst day in human history when mankind rejected God's Son and killed Him on a cross has become the best day in human history when God gave His Son to save us from our sins. And you see, that's the, that's the intersection of reality that comes together at the cross. It is there at the cross that Jesus transforms our sorrows into joy. And because He has done that, and because the cross is followed by the resurrection, this turning of sorrow into joy isn't just about what happened then and there. It is rooted in it, founded upon it, but it goes on to bring sorrow, joy out of sorrow in all the things that happen in our lives. Do you understand that? Second uh, Corinthians 4, 17-19 says, For this light momentary affliction, speaking of everything that you could possibly suffer in this life, This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not at the things that are seen, these present sufferings, but at the things that are unseen, His promises. For the things that are seen are transient, they don't last, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Jesus because of His suffering and death in our place on the cross, has fulfilled everything necessary to apply all those ancient promises of sorrow into joy to us. Amen. Think about that. Jeremiah 31, verse 13, now applies to us. Then shall the young woman rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness. For sorrow. So, how's that happen? How does Jesus take the very things that cause sorrow now and use them to bring joy? 
Well, because we have a hard time getting it, He illustrates it. Here's the third thing. Jesus illustrates for us how sorrow turns to joy with the picture of a mother giving birth to a child. Verse 21, look at it. He says, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So when a mother goes into hard labor, and that that is what he's describing here, uh, the words he's using picture a woman in, in, in a time of very hard labor. Now, honestly, as a man, I'm not sure I am fully qualified uh, to understand this. Men, after all, don't give birth, um, d- despite what some of the insanity of our culture would say. But I do, as a man, understand that childbirth often comes after a time of excruciating pain. As I understand it, some of the most intense physical suffering a person can go through can happen in hard labor. And remember, remember, no drugs, uh, no epidurals in the time Jesus is talking about here. And Jesus says that it's agony. Uh, anguish is the word that He uses. And it's a word that is used elsewhere in the Bible to describe an intense form of suffering. It's, a, it's the word that's used to describe severe affliction, tribulation, persecution, suffering. And the point... Here's the point. There will be times of intense suffering in this world. And you just have to know that. And just as a woman must know that going into childbirth. But here's the good news. That suffering will not last. That suffering will not have the last word. That suffering will not continue forever. It is leading somewhere. He says she feels this because her hour has come. Now, what's he mean by that? Does he mean that you know childbirth only lasts an hour? <laughs> Don't you wish? Um, no, that's not what he's talking about at all. Remember, Jesus often talked about His coming suffering as the hour. His hour would come. And so He's making that comparison here. And His meaning, though, is that this suffering, however intense, is temporary. It is temporary. It may be terrible, but it has a time limit. Soon it will end, and when it ends, it will leave behind it something wonderful to rejoice in. Amen. Yeah, I love this picture. So a mom suffers and cries as the baby is being born, but when it's all over and she sees that beautiful face, oh, there is joy. And her joy is fixated on the very thing that brought the sorrow. There's a bit of a mystery here. Jesus says to us, in the same way, verse 22, you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Do you see? We're suffering birth pangs now. And and, and, and in the Old Testament, and especially the Jews coming out of the Old Testament, would talk about the period of the birth pangs of the Messiah. And they meant the racking trouble within the world itself. But, But Jesus is saying, you disciples are about to experience birth pangs as you suffer now. But hold on because there's going to be joy on the other side of this. We will suffer anguish here and now. I mean, again, just expect that. There will be persecution. There will be illness. There will be cancer. uh, There will be losses of every kind that we're forced to go through. And a thousand other terrible things that can happen in this broken world. But when it's all over and we see His beautiful face, 
When we see what He is able to do through our pain, He says we will rejoice. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal way to glory beyond comparison. Which is the fourth thing. We are promised resurrection joy on the other side of these present sufferings. Again, verse 22, just look at it. He says, So also with you, you'll have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Three things could be a sermon all by themselves, but three things. First of all, this joy that we're going to have on the other side of the sorrow, he says it is a deep joy. Notice that. He says your hearts will rejoice. It's a direct quote from Isaiah from Isaiah. Uh, 66 verse 14. He says, You will see and your heart shall rejoice and your bones shall flourish like the grass and the hand of the Lord will be known to His servants. This is real joy. This isn't shallow joy. This isn't temporary joy that comes and goes. This is heart joy. This is joy that reaches into the bones. This is a joy that fills and stabilizes your life because you know Him. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Second, notice it is a Christ-given joy. Look what he says. He says, I will see you again. Now notice that. Not just you will see me again. I will see you again. The implication, I think, is this. I'm going to come looking for you. I'm coming to you to bring you my joy. I personally am coming to make sure this joy is delivered to you. John 15, verse 11, These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. And third, it's an everlasting joy, never ending. And it's a joy that no one can ever take away. Uh, no one will take this from you. The world, the world and the sorrows of this world cannot beat this joy out of you. That's the kind of joy Jesus promises us through His resurrection. It's, it's, it's what God, in fact, has been promising to His people throughout the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 35, verse 10 says, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion. That's where they meet God face to face. They'll come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing will flee away. That's what's coming to us. Yes, ultimately, finally, in the second coming of Christ, but, but, but now also presently being worked into our lives, preparing us for that day. And so put all this together for the Christian who is trusting in Christ here and now. Here is the promise. Sorrows will come. Sometimes they will be intense, but they will always be fleeting. They will not last forever. But His joy will. It is everlasting. It cannot end. It will be ours forever as we hold fast to Him. And so we need to keep our eyes on Him. That's what we've got to look forward to. That's, that's what we have to hope in now. That's what will give you courage to face present sufferings in this world. Okay? Okay, but, but how do we take hold of it now? How do we take hold of these promises so that they, that they begin to, to, to leak back into our lives now as we're facing these times of suffering? Well, here's the third thing this morning. We can access this joy now because we have access to the Father through prayer. Look at verse 23 and 24. And as I read this, ask yourself why He says this now. 
Verse 23, In that day, that is, the day that I have resurrected, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, He will give to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and it will you will receive that your joy may be full. Notice the joy. It's about the joy. Prayer is the present day help we need that links us now to the joy that will be ours forever in Christ. In other words, these joys He is promising us aren't just for the future. They begin to enter our lives now through communion with Him, through prayer. Because in prayer we meet with the God who is the source of all joy, both now and forevermore. I mean, look at verse 23. In that day, what day? Well, again, he's talking about that, 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 that day of resurrection and all the days that follow it, by the way. You've got to understand the resurrection of Christ is not just what happened on Easter Sunday. It is what happened on Easter Sunday. But it's not just about what happened on Easter Sunday. It's what happened on Easter Sunday and everything that flows from it. You see, the resurrection of Jesus brought a permanent change to us. With it, we have entered into, we Christians have entered into a new era of spiritual life. The resurrection of Christ marks the permanent change from the old covenant shadow to the new covenant reality. Through Christ and by faith in Christ, we have entered now into a new era of life and eternity that begins now and then carries us on into eternity. His Spirit is alive in us now. Eternal life has taken hold of us now. Sin is defeated now. Death is done. Life has begun. And that new life that He has given us by faith has brought us into a new relationship with the Father. You see, that's what He's talking about here is the new relationship we have with the Father which brings us joy. Again, verse 23, In that day, you'll ask nothing of Me. Truly, truly, I say, whatever you ask of the Father in My name, He will give to you. Until now you've asked nothing in My name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be made full. So notice verse 23. Okay, there's another one of those truly, truly's. I won't make the sound. Right? But you know the point. Listen up. What follows is important. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in My name, He will give you. And so, beginning with resurrection, Jesus says, you're not going to ask Me anything anymore. But now you're going to ask the Father, okay, what on earth is He talking about? Well, maybe this will help. There are actually two different words in the original that He uses for ask. And they kind of help us see what He's saying. First of all, He says, you will not ask Me for anything now. Well, the word there is eritao. And usually eritao means to make a request. Um, uh, Sorry, erase that. You know, Brain fell apart there for a second. Eritao means to ask a question. Uh, to, to seek information. You go to the information desk and you ask for information. You know, how do I get to Fourth and Vine? Or, or whatever. Um, you know, that, that's, that's an eritao. Jesus says, after I'm risen from the dead, you're not going to be asking me for information anymore because you're, you're going to have the Word and the Spirit. You're going to already see how it's played out. You're no longer sitting there wondering what on earth it means that I'm going to be gone and coming back because you've seen it already. It's happened. You're not going to be asking me anymore. What's the plan? But, 
Second, he says, you will ask the Father. This is a different word for ask. Iteo means to make a request. That is to ask for something. So one is seeking information. The other is asking for help. You put it together, here's what Jesus is saying. After I've risen from the dead and this new era of life has begun, you won't keep coming to me in person to ask me to explain it to you because you'll have the Word and the Spirit. But you will be going to my Father to ask Him for what you need in my name. Because, and this is what's being implied, because what I have done in my death and resurrection has brought you into a new and living relationship with Him and you are now open to go to Him. Based on that, Jesus says, Truly, truly, whatever you ask the Father in My name, He will give you. Now that I have brought you into this new and living relationship with Him, go to Him, Peter! Ask of Him. Go to Him in confidence that in My name, that is because you're representing Me, and because you're asking for the things I've promised to give you, because you're seeking My glory in your life, go to Him, ask for what you need, and you'll receive it. And do you see, Christian, do you see how this is meant to be a great encouragement to prayer? Oh, how we ought to pray with confidence. This, this reminds us that, that Christ in His suffering, death, and resurrection has opened up a way of access for us directly to the Father. You think of those marvelous promises in Hebrews, Hebrews 10:19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by that new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We have access to God the Father. Hebrews 4.16 Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Christian, in the middle of your sorrows, this is a wonderful cause for joy. We can draw near with confidence that we will be heard because we have come in Christ's name through the door He has opened up for us. 1 John 5.14 says, And this is the confidence we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, that's the same thing as according to His name. So this isn't, I'm asking for a, a, a new Mercedes. This is I'm asking for those things you promised. I'm asking for those things I need. I'm asking for your help. I'm asking for your presence. I'm asking for your provision of my daily needs. I'm asking for those things you've authorized me to ask as I'm drawing upon that account, which you have. This is the confidence we have toward Him. As we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. And so we come in Jesus' name. And again, what does that mean? Coming through faith in Christ. Coming based on the promises Christ has made. Asking those things we have been authorized by Him to ask so that we might live in a way that honors Him and honors the Father. What a precious thing this is. This promise of answered prayer. This, this promise of fellowship with God. It's, it, it, it's better than a phone call. But let me show you something else. And this is really great, so I don't want to miss this. So don't tune out on me just yet. Here's a question. Again, 
Why does Jesus give us this promise of answered prayer here in the middle of this discussion of suffering and joy? Why does He make this statement here in the middle of this discussion of coming present suffering and promised joy? It's because He wants us to see that prayer is where we go to access here and now this promise of everlasting joy. Prayer is where the heavenly promise of eternal joy is seized upon and brought down from heaven into our lives as we go to Him. Look what He says again, verse 24. Until now you've asked nothing in My name. You hadn't asked Me. You hadn't hadn't prayed in My name at all. They hadn't, right? They didn't even know they could. They thought they needed a priest and a sacrifice and a religious system built around a temple to go to God. And now Jesus says... Everything has changed. I have opened the door. I've given you access. I've given you a way in. Draw near the Father. Now through me, you'll find the door is open and the Father is ready and willing to embrace you and you'll have what you need. Until now, you've asked nothing in My name. You've never prayed to the Father in My name before. Start doing it now. Ask and you will receive. Why? What's the goal? That your joy may be full. Matthew 7, verse 7, Ask, it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. Come boldly, knowing you'll be let in. Come boldly, asking for what you need. And what are you going to find? End of verse 24. What's the end result? You're going to find my joy. Now process that. Think it through. Look what our present access to God through prayer gives us now. It gives us access to that eternal joy which is ours. We go into the Father's presence with our needs, with our sorrows, with our suffering, and we find that we are able to draw upon the eternal deposit of joy that Christ has made on our behalf. It's already in the bank. He's already set it there. Our name is on the account because we come in His name. And what we must do is we must ask. You have not because you ask not. I'm not saying it's magic. I just, okay, I'm feeling a little sad. I go in, no, give me joy. Woo, here it comes. No, this is the ongoing process of a life with God that Christ has opened up where we are pressing into Him through Christ, praying to the Father in the Son by means of the Spirit. And it's in that communion with Him that we begin to tap into the eternal realities of all that Christ has prepared for us. We come in Christ's name under His authority to draw out the help that He has promised and not just help, but the joy that He has prepared for us because prayer brings us into the Father's presence and gives us fellowship with Him. And it's that fellowship, that relationship, that coming to the Father that sustains us in Christ's name in the times of sorrow. Come to the Father through the Son by means of the Spirit to access this joy. Suffering friend, do you know Him? Do you know Christ by faith? Do you know that you can run to Him with your sorrows? And here's the better question, are you running to Him with them? So often when we're, when we're in the middle of a sorrow, we run from Him. When what He tells us to do is run to Him. Not just once. Keep asking. Keep knocking. Keep seeking. And you'll find access, Jesus has promised, 
and I'll bring you through the suffering. The suffering's part of my plan, and it's through this suffering that I'm going to bring ultimately even greater joy. But you've got to come to me. You've got to trust me, coming because of what Christ has done by faith for all that I've promised. Let's pray. Father, I know that I am speaking to a mixture of people in different places right now. Some some kind of don't even know what I'm talking about when I'm saying sorrow right now because things are going pretty good and it's easy it's easy not to be too concerned about help for sorrow when you're feeling when you're feeling giddy but I'm speaking to others who barely drag themselves in here they feel crushed not even sure they're going to make it this week some who are weighed down with 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 pain and sorrow perhaps of their own making, but perhaps just because of the crushing reality of this world. And what you've called us to do is you've called us to look to you, to trust in you, to remember that our Savior embraced this sorrow of the cross that He might bring us the joy of the resurrection by faith. doesn't mean our lives here and now are going to be easy. This isn't the last time, Jesus, you told the apostles that they would have sorrow. They had sorrow and joy at your resurrection. Then they had sorrow and persecution and joy at your fulfillment. And so this is a cycle we'll have our whole lives, all because of what you completed upon the cross, finished at the resurrection, and are now giving us daily as we trust in you. So help us to trust in you, to bring our needs to you. Help us, Lord, to believe the promise. For it is in Christ that we pray. Amen. Amen. Stand with me and I believe we're going to sing a song.